We are often told that God is all-merciful, that in fact he is mercy. And I really can't argue with that because, well, it's true. God is mercy. But God is also all-just. He is justice. So God is mercy and God is justice. The two cannot be separated in him. They are both him. In fact, God's justice is his mercy. And God's mercy is his justice. This is what the prophet Habakkuk is struggling with in today's first reading. He sees these wicked people prospering, and he doesn't understand why God allows them to continue existing. He thinks that God needs to punish them, to wipe them off of the face of the earth right now. And if you look at the selection of verses we read, you'll see that we skip a bunch right in the middle. And in that section we skip, we miss a lot of the conversation. We see that God replies to that complaint of the prophet Habakkuk. And he reminds him that the unjust, the unrepentant, the evil, they will be repaid eventually. But then Habakkuk replies again to God. He's not happy with that answer. It's not enough for him. And so he demands to know why the wicked people are allowed to destroy, to swallow up, is what he says, the good and the faithful and the just. And then we resume our reading today. We hear God replying to that second plea. He doesn't give Habakkuk a timeline for the destruction of his and Israel's enemies, but instead he promises that that time will come, but in the meantime, the righteous must persevere. They must believe that the salvation, the promise which has been communicated through all of the, all of the prophets throughout history, that will be theirs eventually. As I was reading this reading, I thought that Habakkuk could very well be a prophet in our own day. It seems that people who are obstinate in committing sin, who commit evil acts every day, they're allowed to run rampant across the world. We see political leaders who commit crimes and atrocities in all over the planet. And we even see evil committed by those who have solemnly sworn before God and everybody to lead his people and shepherd his flock. And after seeing all that, I really can't blame anyone for crying out to God, how long must we suffer this, O Lord? And while we echo the prophet's cry, we must also listen to the Lord's response. His response to Habakkuk, it had two essential parts to it. The first part is that God will give those people, those evil people, those people who commit evil, who commit sin, exactly what they are asking for, exactly what is due to them. Because hell is a real place. If we do not repent, if we do not strive to follow the Lord, it's possible to spend eternity there. Now, obviously, I don't want any of us going there, okay? I don't, it's not a desire or a wish or anything. No one would want that fate for anyone else. But that is also the exact reason I have to tell you it's possible. It's out of love. Because God, He's never going to tire of forgiving us when we turn back to Him. Especially when we turn back to Him in that great sacrament of confession. 
But he won't be duped. He won't suffer hypocrites. He won't suffer people who claim to follow him in their words, but then through their actions show that they don't mean that, that they couldn't care less. That's what the prophets of the Old Testament consistently warned us about. And if you read the Gospel, Jesus is constantly warning us about the very same thing. The second component of God's response to the prophet Habakkuk is that we must persevere. The Gospel today reminds us that we are servants of God. And so we must do the work, so to speak, that God has asked us to do. And Jesus reminds us that we must remain strong in our faith. He does not expect us to be able to do this on our own, though. And so he left us many gifts to grow in our faith. In fact, he left us seven of the greatest gifts, the sacraments, so that we can be sanctified, that is, made holy, and so that we can grow closer to him. In baptism, we are welcomed into God's kingdom, and that wound from original sin that haunts us is removed from our souls. In confirmation, the gift of the Holy Spirit is deepened within our hearts. In the Eucharist, which we celebrate tonight, we will soon receive the very body and blood of our Lord. We will enter into communion with Him, real, true communion with Jesus Christ and with all of the saints and with all of our Catholic brothers and sisters who follow the Lord. In confession, The repentant are forgiven of their sins. And not only that, but they're given the grace and the strength to continue following that narrow path that Jesus has asked us all to walk. In anointing of the sick, the Lord heals the sickness in our souls. And sometimes, He even heals the sickness in our bodies. In the sacrament of holy matrimony, couples assist each other as they grow in holiness. And those couples then make that holiness into something life-giving as they add new members to God's church. And then, to round it out, we have holy orders, where God ensures that His people have ministers to bring these sacraments, to act on His behalf as their ministers. And so with all these gifts, brothers and sisters, we can't despair, no no, no matter how troubled the times are. We have to remember these gifts that God has given us because they help us to persevere in the faith. St. Paul in the second reading today reminds us to stir into flame the gift of God that you have through the imposition of my hands. Now, for those of you who may not be as up to uh, snuff on Bible lingo as the guy who spent way too long in seminary, that means the gift of the Holy Spirit. But stir into flame that gift. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, Paul says, but rather of power and love and self-control. And so let us remember every day to call on those gifts, to ask the Spirit to deepen them in our hearts, to re-enkindle the power and the love and the self-control that we have been given so that we may be strengthened every day in our faith.